Good morning. Welcome to our guest today. Um, I ask your pardon, I'm losing a bit of my voice, uh, which I know would be a blessing for most people. Uh, but uh, thank you for your patience and my voice this morning. <clears throat> this past uh, May 1st, I think it was on May 1st, uh, there was a small uh, Cessna airplane that was traveling with eight people flying over the uh, Amazon forest in South America. There's four adults and four children. The children's ages were 12, 8, 6, and 11 months old. They had engine trouble and the plane crashed into the Amazon forest, sadly killing three of the adults. The fourth was the mother of the four children. She lived another four days before she sadly passed away. So we have these children, 12, 8, 6, 11 months, and here they are in the middle of the Amazon, no adults. So they, they, the, the rescuers were searching a, uh, a swath of land, if you imagine, it was just over 2,000 square miles of dense forest that they were trying to find this little airplane. After 16 days, they found the airplane, they found the bodies, but no children. So fortunately, they found all these little finger, these little footprints that were leading away from the airplane. Those kids spent 40 days, 40 days by themselves in the Amazon forest. Can you imagine? I'd make it 20 minutes at most. And so after 40 days, you know, after a certain amount of time, the rescuers who had all these dogs, they just said, you know, this is getting nowhere. We're not going to find them. They're probably dead. And one of the soldiers was about to get on the helicopter, and he heard something next to his foot. And he looked down, and there was the six-year-old sleeping, covered up with a piece of bark that he had pulled off of a tree for protection. They found him. They're still alive. And of course, everybody in the world wanted to know one question, how did you live? Talking an 11-month-year-old child, how did you live? And they said two things kept us alive. Our faith, they would deliberately pray out loud together because it would scare away the animals. And they said they ate seeds, nuts, and insects to stay alive. The last thing that their mother said to these children before she passed was, don't forget the lessons I told you to stay alive and survive. And that's what they did. We have to be survivors. I don't have to tell you that you and I live in a very dangerous world. We live in a dangerous city. We live in dangerous times, and it is really, really easy, isn't it, to give way to hope, to just say, can, can this world get any more crazy, you know? And maybe we're physically surviving, but spiritually and emotionally, we're just checked out. 
I don't know about you, but sometimes when I watch the news, I'm like, nothing is shocking to me anymore. Nothing. There's nothing shocking anymore. And it's really easy, if you're like me, to get jaded and cynical is just like a, a defense mechanism, right? But that's not good. Because you can't have joy that way. And it's a real subtle danger. So I think this mother, maybe we could take some of her advice and just give it to each one of us on spiritually and emotionally too. Here's the deal, folks. There's always going to be fear in our life. There's always going to be fear. And you've heard me say this before, but I'll say it again. You know, when we're younger, we often are afraid of <laughs> maybe what other people think of me. Do I have acne? How does my hair look? We get older, like, I don't care what they think of me. I don't care if I've got acne. But now I'm afraid who's going to take care of me when I get older? Who's going to help me? Is someone going to take away my car keys? Our fears will change as we age. But when Jesus says, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, it's not like he's being Pollyanna, pie in the sky. He's saying, you need to manage your fear. Fear is always going to be there. And truth be told, we have plenty of reason to be afraid. I don't have kids, and I'm occasionally afraid. We have reason to be afraid, but if you don't manage your fear, your fear will manage you. You know what that happens? What happens then? We get paranoid and neurotic. And when people get paranoid and erotic, they make their spouse and their children the same way. They like Velcro themselves to their spouse and children, and they cocoon them, which is not good, because we make them crazy and us crazy. You know, if you talk to Navy SEALs and people in special forces, they will say that when we find ourselves in a crisis situation, a trauma situation, we need two things to survive. Number one, we need to accurately assess the situation. That is very, very difficult to do when we are in panic mode. Imagine that you get lost in the woods. Imagine that your kid runs out into the parking lot at Kroger while you're unloading groceries. Imagine that you wake up, heaven forbid, this morning at 2 a.m., and your house is on fire. We have parishioners this week who had trees fall on their house in the middle of the night. Okay? If we wait till that moment to think about what we're going to do, it's too late. Sorry, but it's too late. And it could cost you your life and your family too. I'm just being honest. What we need to do is think now, how am I going to respond when that drops in my lap, okay? We gotta think clearly. Second thing, have a plan of attack. How are you gonna get out of this? How are you gonna fix it? Those of you that carry firearms, I don't have to tell you this, you know this better. How do you, how do you become willing and able to use a firearm accurately on a moment's notice? You practice. Hopefully. Otherwise, I don't want to be standing next to you. Okay? 
You got to practice and practice and practice and practice and practice so that when that moment comes, you're not deliberating. It's the same thing spiritually. When something drops in your lap out of the blue, how are we going to react? You get a stressor in the middle of the week that you weren't planning on. Okay, it's all right. It's okay. We're going to get through this. It's not a big deal. Take a deep breath. Let's regroup. And we're going to be fine. It's a rare person that can think in those terms. Anybody know where the word panic came from? So in Greek mythology, Pan was a uh, half man, half goat. His torso was male. His body was goat. And he had the pan flute. And he used to hide in the bushes and wait for people to come walking by and he'd jump out and scare them. This is why we call it panic. Because people are not thinking clearly when they're panicking. And it can cost us our life. And maybe not our physical life, but maybe the life of our spiritual life and our emotional life and our married life. Because when we are panicking, the other person picks that up. They pick it up, man. When he says fear is useless, what is needed is trust Jesus, he's not talking about pretend there's not a reason to be afraid. There is. But we've got to manage our fear. Did anybody see this week that Memphis was voted uh, the number one worst city to drive in? Yay, Memphians! Right? Nice. The good news is there's, there's, there is good news. Um, there actually are good drivers here in Memphis. I'm sure both of them do a great job. And um, so, uh, but believe it or not, there's people that are trying, okay? Um, so we have reason to be afraid. Those of you with teenagers, you probably have told your teenagers, honey, when you get to a red light and it turns green, do not go. Wait, because people always run the light, okay? Look both ways, then go. So that's what I'm asking you to do spiritually. What is the greatest threat to you emotionally and spiritually right now? Depression? Discouragement? Cynicism? That's mine. I read the, the paper, I'm like, right? But that's not good. If, it, if, if that it poisons my thinking, then everybody around me has to deal with that. There's always going to be fear, but we have to manage our fear. Otherwise, our fear is going to manage us. I'll close with this. So I'm probably the only one here that cares about this, but I'm a nerd, so I'm going to share this with you. So in 1995, in England, in London, there was a chef there at the time. He was the youngest chef in the world to receive three Michelin stars from the Michelin Guide. He was only 33 years old. His name was Marco Pierre White. And you probably have never heard of him, but you've definitely heard of the chefs that work for him, Mario Batali and Gordon Ramsay. And so he was the youngest chef in the world to, to get three stars from Michelin, which, by the way, there's no restaurants in Memphis that have Michelin stars. Okay, this is a very, very big, big, big deal. If you got three Michelin stars, it means your restaurant is booked for like a year out. Okay, it's a big deal. So he works 16 hours a week. 
his entire career to get his third Michelin star. He got it. He was, he was on top of the world. He's in the cover of every magazine. Everybody wanted an interview. He's making money hand over fist. Everybody wants to take a selfie with Marco Pierre White. And you know what? He was perfectly miserable. He got everything he was working for his whole life, and he was perfectly miserable in his own words. So fast forward five years, he's got all this stress, bags under his eyes, he's not sleeping, he's working all the time. And he goes for, for a walk with his wife, Maddie, in London. And she, at a certain point, takes his hand, turns to him, and says with her English accent, love, you are not happy. And when you are not happy, I am not happy. So you need to get happy, whatever you have to do. And Marco was like, well, what do you mean I'm not happy? What do you mean you're not happy? Look, I've given you everything. This house, this car, we've got everything. We've got second homes. I paid for all this for you. What do you mean you're not happy? And you know what she said? I was happier when we were poor. Because when you're not happy, I'm not happy. And he said, well, what do you want me to do? Honey, what do you want me to do? And she looks at Marco and she says, well, they gave you those three stars, right? And he's like, yeah. And she said, well, wh why don't you just call them and give them back? <laughs> and he said, well, what, do you, what do you mean? Just call them and say, I don't want them back? I don't want them? And she's like, yeah. And he said for the first time, in his adult life, he took the advice of someone who was trying to help him. He said, I'd never done that before. He literally got home from the walk, picked up the phone, called the Michelin guide and said, yeah, hey, thanks a lot for the stars. I don't want them anymore. Take them back. Good day. Literally, he gave them all back. He's the only chef in history to give them all back. And by the way, they took back not only the stars from that restaurant, but all his restaurants. And he said, I felt the weight of the world taken off my shoulders. <sighs> Side note, after he did that, his personal income tripled. It tripled. Why? Because he's happy now. And when people are happy, they want to be around you. And when you're not happy, they don't want to be around you. Which means we're better at communicating which means we're better at our business, which means our employees enjoy being around us more and our family and our children. He actually made more money and was better when he got rid of it all. The one thing he wanted for his career, he had to redirect his priorities in life. Why am I telling you this? This is why I'm telling you this. Because part of survival Emotionally and spiritually means that we take the advice of the people around us that are trying to help us. And that is very, very, very difficult when you are used to hearing their voice and you know what they're going to say and how they're going to say it. But it takes a humble person to stop, listen, and say, yes, I'm going to do that. Thank you for that advice. 